This episode of Duke Talking to Me was recorded under lockdown conditions. Hello, I'm Rachel Krieger. And I'm Philip Simon. We are two Jewish comedians. I'm Orthodox, so as a married woman, unless I'm with my family, I keep my hair covered. And I'm Reform, so married or not, I'm happy to show off, but I still have a full head of hair. This is the chat show that recreates the sensation of finding yourself on the miscellaneous table at your cousin Hannah's bat mitzvah. Any argument you have is likely to be about whose grandma makes the best cake called something with chuch in the middle. Each week we'll bring you two of our favourite Jews to chat about their lives and experiences growing up and how much Jewishness plays a part in December are they donuts and dreidels or saviors in cradles welcome to Jew talking to me so Rachel what's the most Jewish thing that's happened to you this week well last night I finally did my first proper full-length stand-up set since the beginning of lockdown oh congratulations Thank you. It was actually really good fun. And it was for this Jewish organisation who had planned this amazing event for their members long before COVID was even a thing. And they'd had to come up with a really creative idea to keep the meal the same. So basically every family who had a ticket received a box with all the ingredients partially cooked and instructions on not just how to prepare the gourmet foods, but also how to plate it up or fancy like it would have been if they'd gone ahead with plan A, which was so sweet. But also you just know that every family had at least one kid who took a look at the posh nosh and asked for pasta instead. <laughs> but the bit I felt was most Jewish was that I made a joke about benches, which are Grace After Meals booklets, and that got a really big and relatable laugh. And I've been wondering whether other religions who say some form of grace have anything similar. Because for Jewish events, you know, like weddings and bar mitzvahs, the big treat is to get a bencher, which includes the menu and who gave all the speeches. And then 10 years later, you come across it and it's like, oh, Saskia's bat mitzvah fanned melon with a raspberry coulis, herb-encrusted salmon on a potato galette, a trio of chocolate fondants, and it feels like you're watching MasterChef. And if they made one for that gala event last night where everyone had to turn their kitchen into a Michelin-starred bistro, as well as Grace, I was thinking they'd have to include all the other bits, like, I don't know, slow-cooked beef with a red wine jus, creme brulee. A selection of cutlery from your own drawer. <laughs> a water lily of kitchen towels. A decanter of Gaviscon for after the meal. <laughs> but genuinely, if any of our non-Jewish listeners could comment on our social media at Jew Talking, I'd really be interested to know if that is also a thing for you. And how about you, Philip? What's the most Jewish thing that's happened to you this week? Well, I think I've got two because I think my most Jewish thing for the moment is finding out that you consider a bencher to be the big treat of a wedding and a bar mitzvah. <laughs> but the one I actually thought of was that our listeners will remember a few weeks ago we had comedy writer Dave Cohen on the show and he was talking about the Jewish guilt he feels whenever he earns money, which is something I've experienced a bit this week as sales have started coming in for the children's joke book I've published just in time for Hanukkah. Obviously, times are hard for comedians. Most of us haven't earned much from comedy since March. So we're all coming up with creative projects that will boost our careers and hopefully supplement our income along the way also. But every time I've tried to reconcile with the fact that we need to stay viable as professionals in our industry, I've also had this insecurity in my head that people are going to be thinking, <laughs> typical Jew thinking about money. 
-hmm. What makes that even more ridiculous is that with the joke book, for various reasons, I'm donating the profits to Fair Share, which is a charity that provides meals for families and vulnerable children. So now I'm being told off by people for not using the sales to earn a living. It's like I can't win. Whether I try to make money or I actively try to not make money, someone's upset. So I guess what I'm saying is that if you could all visit my website, philipsimon.co.uk forward slash shop, my children would really appreciate it if you could buy my book so that other people's children can benefit. <laughs> well, before people go and buy your book and stop listening to the show, I think we should bring on our guests. And our first is a comic actress and writer known for playing Dobby in Channel 4's Peep Show and for her Sony award-winning Radio 4 series, Izzy Sutty's Love Letters. It's Izzy Sutty. Hello. So Izzy, what kind of a Jew are you? I'm a curious Jew. That's because I am Jewish down the female line, but I don't know very much about the Jewish side of my family because my grandmother, who isn't with us anymore, didn't ever really talk about her life at all or her childhood. So my mum doesn't really know very much. She knows that my great grandma was practising. I know that a lot of my family were Jews in East London, sort of Brick Lane Poplar area and if, you, if I look at the family tree going back generations it's all Poplar and Aldgate and places like that and I've got a lot of amazing Jewish names in my family tree but I wish that Nana was still here because I could go I'm appearing on a podcast and it'd be really useful for me to know a bit more yeah I don't think she'd know what a podcast was though but Nana if you're listening thanks for not really <laughs> telling me very much her mum was Leah Jacobs and I've got lots of lovely names like Solomon A. Jacobs and Edith Greenberg and yeah lots of um proper Jewish nice names. Jewish names yeah we've got Solomons in our family so maybe we should look at the family trees you'll probably find somewhere along the line everyone's related so maybe oh. you're my long lost Jewish connection uh, well we've wrapped up this entire show we can yeah <laughs> I do need to ask you, what is the most Jewish thing that's happened to you this week? Well, actually, it's that I listened to your episode with Ida Badil and uh, lovely Debbie, who I did an episode of something with. She was a brilliant jeweller in it, and she was so nice. And he was mentioning that he downloaded the Brick Lane Bagel app. So I've done that this week, but, <laughs> I, but they only delivered within seven miles, and I live 8.8 .8 miles away. Oh. So I'm so gutted. I think I'm going to have to go within the seven miles radius maybe i'll have to move just so i can get a delivery from them. that would be the most jewish thing anyone did to move yeah. to be closer for the bagel app to work and then i'd find on the day that the house went through that they'd reduced it to 6.5 miles <laughs> <laughs> i mean this is a jewish tragedy on every level yes our next guest is a BAFTA shortlisted writer, comedian, actor, author and radio presenter and he's the only both Jewish and Welsh comedian on the circuit. It's Bennett Aaron. Hello. So Bennett, what kind of a Jew are you? A short, fat, balding one. Um, <laughs> what, I, I was a very orthodox Jew growing up. Yeah, my grandparents were very, very orthodox, as was my parents. It's very funny because even though I grew up in a place where my family was the only Jewish family, I still kept everything. We, we kept all the all the festivals and everything. And it was only when I moved to London and met my first Jewish friend that I catch a bus to see him. Whereas before that, I'd never travelled, you know, on, on a Saturday, as opposed to any day. I had travelled before, hence getting to London. But I actually travelled on a bus on a Saturday, the first time ever to see a Jewish friend. It was quite ironic, if we get irony. So, yeah, I had an orthodox upbringing. Um, I'm a proud Welsh Jew. And as a proud Welsh Jew, what is the most Jewish thing that's happened to you this week? 
I had something to eat, don't that counts? <laughs> and yeah. yesterday I did a gig for the My Israel charity, along with Sol Bernstein, Gary Delaney and Hal Cruttenden. So I was the most well-known on that bill. And it was really, really good fun and raised a lot of money. And there were about 300 people on Zoom, most of whom, of course, being Jewish, were sitting there eating, which was fun to watch and pointing out about their houses, which they didn't seem to be that struck on. I, I don't think there's much more Jewish you can be than watching other Jews eat whilst you're trying to work. So that's what I did. What I hate about Zoom gigs is when sometimes you can see all the chat. So the audience were allowed to chat while you're on and you see them go, yeah. oh, what do you think of her and stuff? And it's like, no, 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 no. It's not supposed to be like this. When you're on stage, you're not supposed to be able to hear people's interior monologues. Basically. <laughs> like you're getting heckled by someone's brain. <laughs> oh, the other thing that happened is that people forgot that they were on Zoom. So they were getting up, walking around. I mean, completely forgot that everybody else could see them until I pointed out that they all, it's like the weird game musical chairs they all suddenly ran back to their seats when they realised that we could see them. I think when gigs start up again, we should start allowing people to come to live stand-up comedy gigs and give the venue as an Amazon delivery address. <laughs> I, I want halfway through a set somebody to get a package delivered. And maybe bring their washing up with them and put it on their knee in a washing yeah. up bowl and just... Bring their catalogue, have a child come downstairs, whatever. <laughs> Clearly, we are living in challenging times, so we always like to check in with our guests and ask, what's the matter, Bubbler? Izzy, what's going on with you at the moment? How's life? Well, it's it's okay. I'm in lockdown with my partner, who Bennett knows very well, Ellis, who is a fellow Welshman, and uh, our two children, who are one and six. And it's better now schools are open. Ellis and I have got to know each other really well. We've never spent this much time together in our whole lives. We've been together about 10 years. And... He is doing one thing this week that's annoying me. I feel quite bad for saying it because it's a very innocent thing, but he tends to have like late night snacks of cereal, like at about 10 o'clock. So I made lentil soup tonight and he loved it, but he was like, I'm going to have to have Weetabix at 10 o'clock. So don't take it personally. And I was like, that's okay. But what he does is when he eats it, he says, mmm, after every mouthful. <laughs> so it's like the first time you're like, okay, he's enjoying the Weetabix. And then like, by the 30th time, you're like, A, how can you break Weetabix up into so many spoonfuls that we're now on the 30th? Mm. But also, I know that you're enjoying it. You don't have to keep saying, mmm. Have you never loved any food that much? I love chocolate cake, but I don't I don't know if I love it enough to say, mmm, after every mouthful. I certainly wouldn't say after Weetabix. It's quite a bland thing to eat, really, isn't it? Is he putting milk with it? Yeah, what? just plain with milk. My grandpa on my dad's side used to have it with butter and cheese. It's, I'm sorry, yeah. what? It's a Scottish thing, I think. My no, dad's it's Scottish. a ridiculous thing. <laughs> yeah, well, who knows where he got it from? It was probably a, a family tradition that's been handed down for generations. But yeah, he used to put butter and cheese on it. Did he say, yeah. mm, after the lentil soup? Well, I don't know. I hope not, because then our children will definitely have got it from both sides and they are <laughs> destined to say, mmm, after every mouthful. Does he only do that when he eats cereal yeah. at night or is it yeah. breakfast as well? No, it's only at night. At night. It's really fascinating. I know. It's like much I've done a, a psychology degree or any yeah. degree. Is it because he knows that it's sort of an extra snack? Like it's nicer because it's, it's a treat. Yeah. But it's Weetabix. 
know. Yeah, but you know what? It sounds like, you know, at the end of any of Nigella's shows, she goes to the fridge, eats whatever's left over in a very... What can I, how can I describe it? Like she's really, really enjoying it. So maybe that's it for him late at night. Feels naughty. Yeah. bit yeah. special. Especially he's eating a breakfast thing at the wrong time of day. Yeah. I mean, breakfasting at the wrong time of day is one thing. But if you think that having a midnight snack of Weetabix is naughty. Well, you, then you must be in lockdown. Because <laughs> what can you do that's naughty? Well, there we are. Bennett, I don't know whether you can compete with partners eating in the middle of the night, but I want to ask you the same question. What's the matter, Bubula? Well, I'll be honest with you, this particular lockdown, I didn't mind the first one. This one is truthfully driving me insane. And one of the reasons it's getting me is because pubs are closed. Now, I know Jews are not meant to drink, but the fact that I can't go to the pub honestly, is really, really uh, annoying me. Also, it's affecting a few of my friends as well. I've got text messages from people. I've got text messages from a, a comedian friend of mine who said, I'm just going to read this to you, this lockdown is driving me mad. My wife is annoying me, but I've started eating Weetabix late at night to get <laughs> So well, it can't uh, be from Ellis because we're not married. So you must have another comedian friend who's eating Weetabix he, late at night. He thinks you are, which is really weird. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so it is. It's annoying me uh, for that reason. Uh, maybe I should eat breakfast at night and that make things better. I don't know. It is. It is driving me mad. To be truthful, maybe you should be able to go to a pub in the morning. <laughs> what? Like I've not done that. <laughs> but, I mean, why were where the spoons invented? I mean, come on, they're open at nine. Probably. I don't know. I've never been that early. It's nine. There was a football tournament that was in the morning, wasn't it? Was it in around two thousand and two, where all the pubs were allowed to open really early, like six a.m. and we were allowed to go and watch the games. Did oh, I dream yes. this? It was. It wasn't. It was the World was it Cup two thousand two. Says Russell. Oh, okay. okay. Well done. Yeah, I don't know which country it was in, but whatever time it was for their evening, it was like early on mornings. So the whole country got the pubs open. Yeah, Bennett, you would have loved that. It's like the opposite to now. That that would have been absolutely ideal. It's really weird. When I used to fly away for gigs in the old days, and we used to go to an airport, and I remember doing this with a couple of people, you would never, ever dream of going, oh, do you know what? It's seven o'clock in the morning. I fancy a pint. You're in an airport, seven o'clock in the morning. Perfectly natural. Do you want a pint or a coffee? You eat out of a pint, which you, you just wouldn't do. And yet in an airport, it's like time stands still. <laughs> I'm loving this conversation because so much of it is revolving around food and I'm proper Jewish mother. So that's really all I ever want to know is have you eaten yet and what it was. And so I'd like to know whether you've got any particular memories around Jewish food or something that happened at a significant meal. So uh, Izzy, what about you? Well, I do have a lovely memory of chicken soup and it was when I was doing a play at JW3 in North London and I was doing a verbatim play called Listen, We're Family where they'd recorded a lot of people in the Jewish community talking about really funny things and really kind of tragic things and we all had to listen to what they were saying and replicate it immediately. It's called verbatim theatre and you have to learn how to do it and it's sort of quite cool because like there was a Canadian Jew and I was like I can't do a Canadian accent the director was like it doesn't matter you're just copying what she says so don't worry so we did a run of that and Kerry Shale was in it a lovely man who really wants to come onto this podcast and I had a really bad cold and he said I'm going to take you to get the best chicken soup it's going to make you better overnight and I was like I don't believe you and he took me to Harry Morgan's Deli in St John's Wood High Street and I still remember the lights of it because it was in winter and it was like beautiful we walked up to it and I I was like let this cure me because I'm on stage every night and I've got this horrible cold and the taste of the chicken soup was genuinely like drinking I think of a good analogy like I'm thinking like nectar from the center of the earth it was amazing it was like just 
such an incredible taste and it did really speed my recovery I didn't get better in like an hour but I reckon it really sped things along it's funny because I was a bit confused by your story that when he said he was taking you to get the best chicken soup in the world I don't remember you coming over um <laughs> I was part of a show at the Edinburgh Fringe called Mancunian Rhapsody, written by Deborah Tammer, really brilliant. And everyone was Jewish apart from the one playing the rabbi. And he couldn't get over like how we mothered him and the way that we related to food. And he caught fringe flu, which I'm sure we've all experienced. I feel bad to say this when there's COVID going on. Anyway, the vile flu that we all get during the Edinburgh Festival was a, a musical comedy and he was worried about being able to sing. And Deborah and I looked at each other. We said, don't worry, we'll sort you out. We'll make you chicken soup there was one place where i could get kosher chicken and i've got vegetables i made it i made like a proper pot of authentic chicken soup and then we gave him this bowl and we were staring at him and he was very confused by this and he's like what are you looking at we said jewish mother's not enough just to give it to you we then need to watch you eat it he didn't go mm, but i could see he enjoyed it <laughs> and at the end he said to us you 100 percent think this is magic don't you and we said it is magic and lo and behold the show went on he did get better bennett what about you have you got any particular memories that connect to jewish food well what's funny i'm now i'm vegetarian so i haven't had proper chicken soup in years and years but when i think about what i used to eat when I was growing up, my grandmother was from Lithuania and the food she used to make, I mean, she used to make borscht soup, which of course, you know, was, was very nice. But then we used to have tongue. We mm. used to eat chicken soup with the feet of the chicken in it because that's how it was cooked. And that, I mean, maybe people still do this. I, I don't know. You're nodding. So maybe, oh, okay. I mean, yes, there was obviously a calf's foot jelly and liver. It was just things when I look back now to think what I used to eat, although it was really tasty, it does make me feel a little bit queasy. Then she'd make traditional Jewish things like potato kugel and simus and all these things. You know, I used to love her cooking, but looking back as a vegetarian, it's a little bit, little bit worrying. Tongue was really the one thing I never, ever could eat. That was just somehow a step too far. But I never really thought about it. They go, oh, do you want some tongue? Are you okay? And then it suddenly dawns yeah. in you what you're eating. But tongue, I mean, just what it looked like. Well, it looked like a tongue. I think that was one of the first steps to me stopping eating meat was suddenly realising what I was eating. When you're young and you you get fed something you do just eat it like you're saying you suddenly go what is this we've had to be quite creative with our children during lockdown we've got a three-year-old and a six-year-old and feeding them during lockdown we tried to be as adventurous as we can with foods and they've kind of gone a little bit more adventurous than i was as a kid but one of the things they won't eat is stew but they love meatballs so if we call them meat squares they love it, if we call so it yeah i guess with children the cheese triangles it's still just cream cheese, but because it's yeah, annoying. it makes it more. The name makes it sound more palatable. We used yeah. to have this thing called bananas, sugar, and cream, but it was actually bananas with milk on them. <laughs> it was called bananas, sugar, and cream. So I think the first time we had it, Mum had like cream in the fridge, so she put some sugar on. But she was very health orientated. So thereafter, it was just milk, just milk in the yeah. bowl. Do oh yeah, just milk, no bananas. Yeah, <laughs> with bananas, sugar, and cream. Yes, it's a bowl of milk think, again. Do you think that Ellis actually thinks that Weetabix is oat? and magic dust ah, there we go. maybe the first time we had it it was yeah <laughs> my mum is not a typical jewish mum and she always has very small portions and doesn't really she's the opposite of you in edinburgh rachel she'd make the chicken soup and then she'd say have a very small portion of it that's got to last you for the whole festival no one's ever said that to me about food ever <laughs> you know i want i want more food when she gives me like two potatoes i'm like mum you might have two potatoes i want four or five really? please 
sorry, four, Ooh. four. <laughs> <laughs> With Weetabix in the middle. <laughs> Then it was at Zonda's bar mitzvah. Yes, you were. I just want to know, with the catering, did you sort of spend a lot of time worrying about what people would eat? Or did you just go, this is what we're going to do? We know exactly what Oh, are you want. kidding? We spent hours. Oh, what's funny, my wife and I went to the caterers and they brought out all different foods and different wines for us to try. And by the fifth glass of wine, my wife would have easily just had a packet of quavers and wouldn't have minded. <laughs> because <laughs> uh, she was very tipsy. But no, no, I was very, very particular. And here's the odd thing. We, we actually, we had salmon. I don't know if you remember. We had salmon. Yeah, I do. Um, yeah. They wanted to serve, the, this is really dull, but they wanted to serve the salmon with the skin side up because that's the way you're meant to serve it. And I don't like it served that way because I don't want to see the skin. So I insisted. And the chef and I had a big argument until <laughs> I said, I'm paying. And then that was that was settled. That um, tends to settle yeah. things. Yes. Yeah. But no, no, I went through a lot of um, different types of foods really do remember it being fantastic and it's not it's at all so awkward that i didn't invite rachel or philip to the permitter and now it doesn't matter don't worry about it <laughs> Now, every Jewish family enjoys a good argument, and indeed, people on the comedy circuit as well, uh, especially over minor issues like whether it's bagel or bagel, or whether we were or weren't invited to your son's bar mitzvah when we definitely knew you at the time. Xander and Alice are big football buddies. That's the thing, aren't they, Bennett? Oh, so yeah. it's fine. You're saying yeah. it's not that you like Bennett, it's his son. I, no, I can't stand I love Bennett, and I love the family, but <laughs> Alice and Xander have this very special bond over football. I mean, I've always got a really well with Zander when I've gone in to do stuff at his school. We've had loads of nice chats. I don't think I did know you then, to be honest. It was four, He's 18 four, now. four years ago. Me? <laughs> do you know when you first came to me? Like 10 years Two ago. Two years ago. That 10 was years ago. This is well, great. I will repeat what I was going to say. Before <laughs> this blows up into more of a broigus than I think it should, all Jewish families, and I would guess some Jewish colleagues, enjoy a good argument, <laughs> especially over minor issues like whether it's pronounced bagel or bagel, and indeed served at a meal you weren't invited to, but you would have been very happy with the fish skin side up or down. <laughs> My question to you is whether you have a favourite feud that you want to share with us now, Bennett. My mum, when they were moving house, um, we're going back 20-something years, and I said, whatever you do, please don't throw away my comic book collection, which I had been collecting since I was a child. And she went, no, no, no. And I went, no, no, please listen. Don't throw away this comic book collection when you move. And she went, oh, no, no. And I thought, she's not really listening. I said it three or four times. They said, I've told you I'm not going to. Leave me alone. They moved home and she threw away my comic book collection, which is estimated because I go to comic book fairs and, and see them, it's estimated around sixty to £70,000 worth of comics. Which um, comics were up. they, Bennett? Which were they? Yeah. They were majority of Marvel comics, late 60s, early 70s, and there were some very good ones, and there were some number, not number ones, but certainly number two, three, and four. So that the children mention to my mum whenever they see her. <laughs> they have to do that just to make me happy. So that's probably one of the ones that's been going on for a while i always thought it'd be brilliant to have uh, you know the jeremy remember the jeremy kyle program that was on yeah i always thought mm -hmm. why didn't they ever have jewish families on that something like you know it's michelle's turn to host seder night but she doesn't want her <laughs> mother-in-law there <laughs> we don't need it we we tell it and we experience it all the time we don't need to go on television you can go anywhere if more than one person's there you're talking about the thing that annoyed you that someone did to you yeah yeah
Quite true. Also, like, most Jews have had good dental care, so <laughs> wouldn't have fitted in in the Jeremy Carl crowd. <laughs> Did your mum give them away or throw them away, the comments? Oh, I don't know, because when they were about several are they said, I don't know, that was it. She drove off in her... Uh, eBay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I think she just threw them because they were in boxes, so I think it was just literally chucked into a bin. It was 20-odd years ago. I've, I've forgotten about it. <laughs> Bennett, I'm going to confess to you that I used to collect you comics. You put my comics. No, I threw my own comics away. So you think the pain you feel now reflects it how I feel about myself. Well, that's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Would... I regret it every day. What... It's my kids' inheritance that they don't have. What did What did you have? Which ones did you have? I had a lot of different eagles. I had beanos, including some that were from my dad. So old ones. And wizard, like a lot of British comics that are no longer made, and some of them aren't worth much money, and some really are. Yeah, I threw them all away when I was about 16 or 17. I just thought, why am I keeping these mint condition pieces of paper? Chucked them yeah, out. That was a mistake. Just thought I I'd know. let you know. Well, okay. Izzy, do you have any brogueses you want to share with us? Well, actually, mine is to do with my mum and my childhood as well. When I was seven, I had a, a goldfish that I'd won at a fair called Bobo. And mum was cleaning out Bobo's tank and she left him on the rockery to dry while she cleaned it out and he died. So <laughs> when I got home, she, she said, I'm afraid Bobo's dead. And I said, how? And I was really upset. And she said, I'm going to tell you the truth. I just put them on the rockery to dry and I forgot that fish need to be in water. I was like, ah, okay. So I suppose I learned that fish need to be in water at quite a young age, but I still feel really sad when I think about Bobo and it's kind of affected my relationship with pets because I think, you know, I don't want to leave them alone with other people. Have you got any pets? No. But she has a beautiful tank. I've got a beautiful <laughs> tank full of Weetabix. <laughs> <laughs> I still feel sad about Bobo. I don't think fish from fun fairs necessarily live for decades, but I feel like Bobo probably had another few years. I had a fish from a fairground once. It was Pinna Fair, which is a long-standing fair that happened every year. And I won it quite early on in my day. And I thought, well, I don't want to carry this around with me. So I went to the, a, a little wooded area and hung it on a tree, the bag, <laughs> on the fish. And I came back to it at the end of the day. The fish was there. That fish lasted so long. It was easily over a year that I had that fish. And the trauma I must have put it through by just leaving it in hanging a dark, on a tree in the back. Forest. Yeah. <laughs> That's the saddest story I've time. ever heard. I mean, it's like a short film. I feel like that it should all be from the goldfish's point of view. <laughs> I think finally, I'm going to a warm house. But first, your penance, you must hang on this tree. See if you are worthy of a place in my house. It lasted definitely well over a year, for sure. Your parents were definitely replacing that fish, like, every three weeks. I go to the pet shop. Let's see if we can find one that matches the previous fish. Now, I don't like to bring my parents into this podcast too often, but anyone who's my parents know they would not go and replace a fish. <laughs> they, they would also sit me down and say, look, the truth is, uh, you should never have left it on that tree. Izzy, does she leave it skin side up or skin side oh, up? Gosh. Sorry. I mean, Sorry. I, I'm glad to say that when I got home, Bobo wasn't on the rockery anymore. I think she might have Is that you in a matchbox. <laughs> Sounds like it. <laughs> <laughs> that thing about your parents replacing the fish you're not knowing my parents did a similar thing with my brother um, which was, uh, 
Did I have to go and like try and find one that looked a bit the same? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was only on the fifth one. I went, hang on. Yeah. <laughs> Izzy, did you have a funeral for Bobo? I think we did, yeah. We we had a kind of garden bit, like a big bit of grass next to the shed, and I think I buried him in the earth next to the tree that my sister my sister woke up one day and said to my mum, can I paint a tree? And mum thought she meant take like a pad and a paintbrush outside and paint a picture of a tree. And mum said, yes, of course. And Callie put, took a big bucket of blue paint and painted a whole tree blue because that was quite a small tree. So I think Bobo was buried quite near the blue tree, which that paint remained on the bark for a lot longer than you'd think it would. Bobo the Blue Tree is a wonderful title for a children's book. <laughs> We all have our connections. For example, Bennett and I first met on the 22nd of April 2012 when he <laughs> came to do a gig I was running, which was substantially before his son's bar mitzvah. <laughs> You're looking wow. at me like that. I just looked it up to double check. Oh, well, um, I thought you actually remembered that, which was really scary. It's yeah. a grave from my heart. And Bennett, of course, we're also two of the only constant hat-wearing comedians. And Philip and I have gigged with you many, many times. I mean, you could say we're almost like family. Uh, Almost, not that and close. we were both definitely free on the night of the domestic. <laughs> and Izzy, I don't know the exact date because there's no petty reason for me to do so, but we first met. See if I can find the date. <laughs> we first met over about 20 years ago as drama students at the Guildford School of Acting. We love a bit of Jewish geography. So if you think about the idea of six degrees of can't eat bacon, other than us, who's your most interesting personal Jewish connection? Bennett. Well... On, I think it's my mother's side, going back quite a while, we're related to Moses. So I, <laughs> I don't quite know how far back. On a slightly different tangent, because it's it's Jewish related, but it isn't a Jewish person. I, I think you know, but Izzy might not know this. I was, my grandparents were very orthodox, and because they couldn't light a fire on the Sabbath, they had somebody to come and light the fire for them. And the person who lit the fire was the son of the local baker, and he was Anthony Hopkins, as in Hannibal Lecter came and lit my grandparents' fire. And there's no truth that probably he burned his fingers, went, <laughs> but he uh, he did. <laughs> Yeah, Anthony Hopkins lit my grandfather's fire. So it's, he's not Jewish, but it's a Jewish connection. I love that. That's amazing. And uh, Izzy, yeah. what about you? I mean, <laughs> who lit your grandparents' fire? Well, exactly. I mean, that does sound like a euphemism. <laughs> I've got an amazing family tree that Uncle Jeff has done. But because my Jewish heritage is a complete mystery to me, I decided that I could make up my own. And it's that Larry David is my dad. <laughs> Which actually, my dad's not with us anymore. He really did look like Larry David and he really did act like Larry David. It's uncanny, actually. Sometimes I'm watching Curb Your Enthusiasm and I'm like, that is basically dad. So I'd like to think that somehow I'm related to Larry David and that if Uncle Jeff can do a bit more of the family tree, I might find that eight generations ago we shared a grandparent. And also the date of the mitzvah was <laughs> in my emails, 24th of January 2016. Oh, oh I had a gig. Yeah. 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 Thanks. Thanks, yeah. Dizzy. Thanks. Thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> wow. Best yeah, night I... of my life. It was. It's a brilliant night. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry you guys weren't there. 
one of the things we're always curious to hear is whether your Jewishness has impacted on your careers at all. So Izzy, do you think that in any way being Jewish has brought something to your professional life? I'm going to tell you something that my mum used to do and you tell me if it's a typically Jewish thing. Always said I wanted to be an actress since I could basically talk. I used to be in a lot of plays when I was a kid and um, she used to be completely honest with me about how I'd done. Like she never sugarcoated it and she was never like, you're amazing, you're going to go onto the stage. I remember being in The Sound of Music once and coming off and saying, Mum, what was I like? And she went, you were adequate. So I'd love to say that wasn't a Jewish mother thing, but I've got a horrible feeling that people would disagree with me if I did. Wasn't adequate the third child in Sound of Music? Exactly. So she, she was right. She just the, the other version of The Sound of Music that often isn't performed. That's how much she loved theatre. <laughs> <laughs> you were adequate, not Liesl, and don't yeah. forget it. She used to be very nice if she thought that I was good. She wasn't being horrible. She used to go, that was what you should be doing, that, that was the way you did that. But she would never, ever just go, well done, darling, you know. And I always remember, you were adequate. And I think that has helped me, actually, because I don't think it's that useful when people always go, you were brilliant. But sometimes when you're Liesl in the sound of music, you just want someone to say, you were good. Yeah, and also it's a very delicate time when you're 16 going, on 17. Exactly. <laughs> that joke was adequate. <laughs> I think that joke was above adequate. Oh, oh. Yeah. Maybe that makes me not a Jewish mother. <laughs> Bennett, what about you? Do you think your Jewishness has impacted on your career? I was just thinking, I wished for the day my mum would have called me adequate. <laughs> just oh. anywhere near would have been. Um, oh, I Bennett, if there's any consolation, we all think you're adequate. That's lovely. Thank you very much. It's what I strive for. What was the question? As Jewish, yeah, I mean, my stand-up is basically about being Jewish. I remember doing a gig once up north somewhere. Uh, I can't remember where, but it's, it's all the same. And this guy came up to me afterwards and he went, I won't do the accent. He said, uh, that's really funny, pretending you're Jewish. And I was just going to say to him, you know, that I wasn't pretending. And he said, because my mate who's with me hates the Jewish and he's going to go over and punch you. So I thought, right, I've got two options. One is to correct him. If I go, actually, mate, <laughs> I really am Jewish. That's more or less going, please punch me. So I just managed to change the subject. But I found out the number of places I've been to around the country where I'm the first Jew that people have met is quite outstanding, really. And it's not something I ever will hide or something that I won't talk about. It's my opening line of, of my set and I've only got 20 minutes so I'm not going to lose you know 30 seconds and of course you know nowadays on a more serious note the fact that there's suddenly this massive rise of anti-semitism and you know I'm not going to go into the whole Corbyn thing and it seems to be that now people have carte blanche that they feel that they're allowed to make comments whereas before they would have kept these comments themselves these are coming out on you know Facebook and Twitter and I've lost a lot of friends who have suddenly reared their heads or uh, come out as being just just borderline anti-Semitic. So it's something that I, you know, will talk about, but it is a shame and it is worrying how anti-Semitism has suddenly become so much more to the to the forefront. Anyway, just moved off from comedy there, but it is something that does bother me a lot. Good night. <laughs> I often do collect horror stories from Jewish acts about things people have said to them at gigs and I do use one of your examples actually when I speak about it. In the years from when I went to comedy is like my side thing to it becoming my full-time thing, I formed a whole collection of my own which is really nice. So uh, yeah, a lot of it about. <laughs> Well, that's nearly all we've got time for, but how will our audience know what you're up to if you never call, you don't write or invite them to the mitzvahs? So this is your chance to tell <laughs> this is your chance to tell our lovely audience where they can find you. Normally we allocate 20 seconds to do this, but for you, 
30. Izzy, what are you up to at the moment? I am about to release an audio download. I'm not very good at technology, but I'm going to try and explain what it is. You can download it, um, and it's a collection of radio shows that I've done, including both series of Love Letters, which was the show that I wrote for Radio 4, and um, some documentaries that I made for Radio 4, and the pilot of Love Letters, Pearl and Dave, and lots of little extra bits. And that's called Izzy Sutty's Love Letters and Other Matters of the Heart. And the link is very long, so I shall ask you to put it in the show notes, if that's all right. Definitely. Great. I had a book out a couple of years ago called The Actual One, which is available. And I'm writing another one It's very good. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm writing another one now, but it's not out yet. That will be out hopefully next year. And Bennett, what are you up to at the moment? Just about to record the third series of Alone for Radio 4, which is a sitcom I'm in with Angus Dayton and others, and probably the most fun job I've had since being born, certainly since leaving drama school. I absolutely love it. So that's been a recommissioned for third series. And I've got three books. I've got a book called My First Sitcom, which teaches people how to write sitcoms from a blank page. I've got a book called Her, the one about identity theft. It's a story of how I lost my identity and became penniless and homeless. I made a documentary on the subject. And I've got a book called The Girl from the Discotheque, which is a funny romantic comedy based on a true story, which has had very nice comments from people like Tony Parsons and others. And they're all on my website. What is the website? It's bennettarron.com if you want to look it up. Thank you. And, and, oh, and the currently... is a very funny book. Oh, that's, that's very sweet of you. Thank you very much. How to Eat Weetabix Dry, which is coming <laughs> on quite well. I just don't have time to read that at the moment with all the bemitzvahs I'm going to. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've really, really enjoyed this. And from now on, I'll always think of Bennett as the Jew who I knew for four years before his son's bemitzvah, and Izzy as the Jew who felt that Zan's bemitzvah was the best day of her whole life. <laughs> And as my grandmother used to say when she wanted to end my telephone calls, you must have better things to do than talk to me and you must have better things to do than talk to us, which is a good thing as sadly we've come to the end of this week's show. We'd like to thank our guests, Izzy Sutty and Bennett Aaron. Follow them on social media. Follow us on social media at Do Talking Without the G. Don't forget to share, subscribe and review the podcast and join us next time on Do Talking to Me. You Talking to Me was hosted by me, Rachel Krieger. And me, Philip Simon. It was produced by Russell Vulcan. Did you say you had another Bruegus? Oh, God, I've, I've got millions, but honestly, this show is not anywhere near long enough for all of us. <laughs> you need to do a spin off show. A spin off show. Call it Venice Bruegus. I think the, most of the episode is going to be about the Bermitzvah, to be honest. <laughs>